So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. And my name is Mark. And I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so I want to help entrepreneurial leaders feel more in control of their business. So today I'm here with a, an old friend, uh, a very entrepreneurial individual, somebody who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, who I think of as a highly competitive, highly performance-driven, motivated uh, achiever. I, I almost called you an overachiever, but I don't know. That might be pejorative because I, I, I think what you do is really excellent. Um, a, a, an individual who is competitive in sports, in, in, uh, in ultimate, you know, highly competitive, nationally known, uh, and also professionally highly uh, successful uh, in the world of many different technology and um, data stuff. But just an awesome guy. Here's Sean McCall. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you, Mark. I, I, I mean, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the, <laughs> thanks for the intro. Not sure what to say after it, but it, it's it's really fun to be here, and it's uh, you know it's fun to fun to be a part of it. Well, so what's going on in your world? Catch me up. It's been and that I really appreciate that uh, you and I haven't really talked in depth in I don't know a year. Yeah, maybe longer. Yeah. Probably longer, probably, probably two, longer. Two, almost maybe three years. And so I said, let's get together. And our first conversation in three years will be on this podcast because I believe that we will, you know, accidentally encounter good stuff to talk about that will waste on nobody if we don't record it. So I appreciate your faith in, in doing that. So I, to catch me up, what's been going on? Yeah, well, it's easy to do. And, you know, I think like like old friends, you know, it's it's easy to snap back into it and, and pick up where you left off. Um, and and I, I like the design of um, of capturing it on on tape, uh, you know, to see where it goes. I like that you called it tape. Yeah, I still do. It's on. It's on tape. It's on. It's on. Uh, with, I listen to the latest record. You know, I love. I love listening to records. <laughs> and uh, we got this on tape, and we got to watch the film. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So, what's been going on for me lately? Um, you know, the uh, so Parivata Solutions is a technology consulting firm on the edge of uh, of, of disruption. And and you know what's been happening for us lately is that. Um, and that's and that's my we talked about phone silencing that my phone is going crazy I can, my like the laptop is going I'm trying to send it to my phone is on do not disturb and it's a bypass it's there you, there you go okay so you know it's been it's it's been busy for us we you know our our business has grown uh, it's really doubled in in that in that period of time um, you know I think what we've seen in um, in businesses that you know companies are constantly trying to do more with less. Um, so, so that's been an interesting challenge. And, and, you know, for me personally, it's been kind of a shift from, uh, from more, um, solutions type mindset to more people type mindset. And, and, you know, at home, it's been a bit of a shift from kind of a athlete first mindset to more of, uh, you know, like, a, a dad first mindset. And, uh, and so there's been a lot of, a lot of change in those, in those couple of years. So those are the areas most interesting to me thinking about because like, you know, I always kick off the podcast with the reminder it's about taking control of your life. That's my passion, feeling in control of your life, which there's a whole deep well on what that even means because you could easily argue that we're not actually in control. But the, but the psychology is clear that when people feel out of control, they feel unhappy. And when they feel in control and they can influence the things that they can influence and they can let go of the things they can't, that's a very good formula for feeling happy in life. So much of it is... Uh, is that balance or I don't like the word balance. So let me, re, let me retract that. It's not balance. It's, it's about the recipe. What is the right recipe for life to feel like you're ba baking the right thing? And, and I use this analogy a lot 
Uh, if you're making a cake, there's a certain amount of flour, a certain amount of sugar, a certain amount of other ingredients that go in there. And then you say, like, well, sugar tastes good. So let's put more sugar in there. And then you keep um, ratcheting up the sugar until it's all sugar. Well, that's not a cake. That's a hard candy, which if you want to make a hard candy is fine. But if you're making a hard cake, it's a terrible cake. And so uh, that, that analogy has always been very illustrative to me that like somebody else's recipe is in mine and I need to know what it is and I can't and shouldn't try to put all ingredients, all possible ingredients or only one ingredient in at any given time. And so your recipe to me has always looked pretty sophisticated. <laughs> you, you've, you've balanced a complex recipe of home life, which is your wife is also very complex. Is that fair to say? That is. <laughs> and so so tell me, tell me about when you're putting the, what recipe are you trying to make? Tell yeah. me, tell me what are the, what are the ingredients and how's the cake baking for you? Yeah, well, you know, I I think to uh, to pick up the thread about my wife, you know, biotech entrepreneur, neurophysiology PhD, patent holder. So um, so you can imagine the uh, the the you know the waters that she's swimming in um, continues to be an elite athlete as well. So lots to lots to talk about there. Um, you know, in terms of the in terms of the recipe, I, I think what's what's interesting is that it, it has a lot to do with what you're optimizing for. And I think, uh, you know, to continue the cake and hard candy, um, you know, the recipe doesn't doesn't necessarily optimize for um, for sugar or for sweetness as much as it optimizes for the experience that you're going to have. Like cake serves a purpose or hard candy serves a purpose like mm -hmm. you might be able to have a hard candy while you're in route, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. or you can pop one in at a stoplight or in a meeting, whereas a cake is a different experience that you, you need a knife and fork and you sit down and a lot of times it's consumed with, with people. And so, you know, they, they, they serve different purposes and they, and they have different compositions. I think what, you know, what I've seen as it relates to my recipe is that the things that I'm optimizing for are shifting. And, um, and I think that, uh, there was, a there was kind of an achiever's mindset. You called this out in the, mm -hmm. in the intro, um, that's been present in my life. A lot of that was driven through a need for acceptance, uh, that I think I didn't really realize when I was younger, but was drawn to it. Um, meaning that, uh, my, my capacity and my skill set internally for self-acceptance was low. So I started to drive for external acceptance and I found success through um, channels like academics and athletics where, uh, you know, I got external validation for either good grades or good performance or, um, you know, or, or winning games or, or, you know, swimming a fast time, whatever it was. And that fed a, uh, an internal need for me, made me feel good, but, but also addressed a need that I had. Um, and, and that led to uh, a, a pretty strong sort of achievement orientation. What I've, and, and that was what I optimized for for a long time. Interestingly, it was kind of at the expense of some uh, maybe healthy cycles of, um, of, of self-appreciation or even self-regulation. What I've, <laughs> I, I don't want to cut you off because you're really on a roll, but it's like, you know, it's a nerve, you know, like this uh, idea of external appreciation and gratification. It's like, you know, I, I can make the joke like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, well, I'm on a podcast where, you know, I, it's like the whole thing is like how many, how many followers, how many likes, how much, how much public appreciation can I get till I, till I finally get the box checked and, you know, 
that's a pr- it's a pretty infinite number at, to, to pursue. So I, I relate deeply to to that. So so you know, go where you're. I'm curious about you know what would have what would have been more healthy. Well, I think what I've come to learn since is that there uh, that, that that's that that external validation is is not a renewable resource. It's a slippery slope, um, almost almost akin to addiction. There's never enough, and and it gets harder to get, and you and you consistently become increasingly desensitized to to what does flow in. So it's. I feel like I'm in therapy now. Yeah, because <laughs> this is this is hitting nerves all over the place. Because you're exactly right. You have a great day. You wake up in the morning and it starts from scratch. That's right. Nothing. That's right. Yeah. And 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 yesterday's um y- you know yesterday's input doesn't feel the same today. Even though it might flow in same or maybe a little bit better, a lot of times it doesn't feel increasing, and the trend line is flat or, or negative. So, so what I've come to learn is that there there are renewable resources, and they come from within. So, a lot of the um, exploration for me and what's been on my journey in the last couple of years is um, it's it's self respect and it's um, it's internal validation and it's intrinsic motivation. It's these it's these parts that are renewable and um and it's it's tried it's 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 an attempt to uh try to pull down the need for external validation um through some of those uh renewable internal voices so this is this is really powerful for me because uh you you package very well as the guy to be i mean like that guy's got the life you know, successful wife, successful in, in business, successful in sports, you know, you're tall, you, you, you're just professional, uh, good looking guy. And it's like, that's the guy to be. He's the perfect guy. And you're like, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that's there. I really had to do some retooling. So, you know, so what, so what is this journey like figuring out those re- renewable self, you know, sort of permanent, that's not the right word. It's not permanent, but even even that can decay, right? So, yeah. so well, they're sustainable. Yeah, that okay. might be that. That's that's at least how I see it. Um, you know, the uh, the external things they're just not sustainable. Uh, it's the it's the internal parts that are sustainable. So so that's the word that that tends to come to my mind uh, instead of permanent. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I I mean I appreciate the, the you know the compliment in in some of those you know, like a- admirable type things. Um, the, uh, the internal struggle is real. And, and, you know, I think that it's, it really is a fallacy to look at others and think, wow, they really do have it, have it all put together mm-hmm. aside from someone who is highly self-aware and, and shows the capacity to be humble and vulnerable yeah. because you know that that's someone who's got, the internal sustainable patterns that can lead to a happy and healthy life and somebody who isn't that's putting on the external show it's lurking somewhere deep inside whether they're um whether they hide it well or not it's lurking somewhere deep inside there lots of pain and struggle that may or may not be visible so you know i i mean i i i appreciate what you said but you know on the it's like this double-edged sword of of you know, as well as someone uh, looks like they put it together, including famous people, whether it's sure. musicians, uh, actors, uh, athletes, uh, there's this dark side that's that's present that um, that I think that 
we tend to assume isn't there because of this public persona, but, but you know, time and time again, you see addiction and, um, and social uh, imbalance and, and all kinds of problems that these people struggle with that they don't talk about. Well, as you said that, I kind of developed a, an instant theory, which in me is something that probably totally wrong. <laughs> but I just, my instant theory was that, uh, that when we look at famous people, it's easier to for a lot of reasons, to discount. You can say, ah, they, I'm sure they're having a bad day. And we still compare ourselves to the, to the superstars. Um, but there's, there's, there's news and gossip and, and haters and trolls that we can kind of lean on that can, that can give us a little bit of uh, chinks in the armor of, of those people. It's the people in our everyday lives who look just believable enough to be more perfect than us that are that are harder to discount because you know it's it's not it's it doesn't look too good to be true it just looks a lot better than us from where we stand and and i think that's interesting so i well go ahead you look you're going to say something there. i was i was i i was going to comment on the fact that the word perfect has entered the conversation several times well i'm a, I'm a person of extremes right so call me out on that i definitely go away and when i when i look at my answers and responses to things and i rewrite them i i bring them down several notches because when they come out the first time they usually come out pretty extreme yeah well it's a sign of a passionate personality <laughs> um you know i think um, I would label myself a recovering perfectionist. Okay. <laughs> and so in some ways, um, you know, you're, you're tempting me with, <laughs> with this thing that I'm kind of, you know, that I have in my past that was a fairly addictive part of my personality. Yeah. And, you know, I think what, what, I've, what I've found is that um, wiring new patterns or rewiring old patterns has everything to do with finding a, a replacement. And so... Um, yeah. instead of thinking of like, who's the perfect person or what's the perfect behavior, I try to think of, well, who's a healthy person and what's mm -hmm. a healthy behavior. Yeah. And so, you know, when I, so that, that's kind of some of the framing in, in my mindset. And that's a lot of what's present in my world today is what's, what's healthy, what's sustainable. Um, and that's, you know, that's emotionally, that's physically, that's, uh, professionally, it's uh, it's socially, it's spiritually, it's these different things that um, that are the elements of life, and and where does you know where does healthy come from? It's true in in business as well. Um, you know what are the healthy client relationships uh, that we have, and what are the healthy employee relationships that we have, and and those those are sustainable. So that's really interesting. So this idea of healthy, uh, as opposed to most, you know, like it's a quantity game for somebody like me. I'm not going to speak directly to that. You know, that more does seem like more, uh, better, you know, anything gets numerically measured because there's, I mean, I teach tons of that. Like we're, if we're going to set an objective for the business, you know, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, we're going to map it back to something numerical, uh, for, because it's easier to do that. And it's, it's important. But then I, I always have counseled my clients and friends and whomever that the numbers are not the goal, they're, they're, a, a, they're a, a poor facsimile act. They're just the only way we can really measure progress. So we got to keep going back to the stated objectives. What's our purpose? What, you know, what are, we, are we making the right impact? Are we, and we, we get to the end of the quarter and we say, how did the numbers go? Did you, did you get all your rocks completed? Did you hit the revenue goal? And then I ask the question, emotionally, give the quarter a grade. 
And then we, because I, because the scores, the math may tell one story and the emotional story might be another one. And we got to go back. Okay, let's go to the vision of what we're doing. Are we still, our core focus, we're still on track for that. Our 10-year target for the impact we want to make, because we're still trying to do that. And it's like, well, oh, I don't know. And we have to go back to those emotional things. Um, but when I facilitate people into that, that's that can be powerful. But I'm thinking right now about like, how often do I just lose track of the, the quality it's you know like it, it's, you know ten thousand likes or fifteen thousand downloads or fifty thousand downloads and it just suddenly it's like all I can see is the number and more becomes more and then you say well what's healthy like that's not an easy shift to go from like more is more to like what is healthy because that's I don't think it's I don't think healthy is obvious your healthy might not even look like my healthy that's right that's right it might not um, and and you're sort of every quarter go back give it a, an emotional grade it's one of it's a great anchor point to to try to keep you focused on on what's most important because I think the short-term uh, measurements or or maybe even kind of the the instant gratification are certainly you know some of the uh, parts of our world are driving us towards uh, getting more and more used to that kind of instant gratification and, and quick turnaround. We're just a fast moving society. And I think, um, executives increasingly are, are in that kind of world. So we've got all kinds of, um, inertia going against, uh, kind of slowing down and looking at the big picture. But, um, you know, it is, it is, it is there where the, where the real value is. So said a little differently, I think it's easier, easier to, um, to stay in the fast moving world of, of inboxes and likes and measurements, um, and these short term, uh, turns. And it's a lot harder to look at the big picture and, and unpack something big and hairy, like what is healthy to try to get to real, purpose and vision, and then to go through the hard work of aligning behaviors to that vision um, and, and staying focused on, on that. I, I think there are still measurable objectives and, and metrics that, that fall out of that, but I, I think that we sometimes get enamored by the feeling of being busy or achieving because we're picking up likes or, or the KPIs look okay. And and it's um and it's not necessarily sufficiently connected to those bigger picture items. Well, I think it's just scientifically, it's just chemically connected. I mean, not to get too far down this because we could go down this rabbit trail, and it's a good rabbit trail, but I think it takes us away from the essence. And that is just the dopamine addiction to something like something progress and checking an email, deleting something quickly. You know, th those quick hits they give us a hit to our brain, and it's very very hard to let go of that. And, and the whole idea of not checking your phone in the morning. I mean, I struggle with that. Like I get really into good habit. Like I don't look at the phone for the first hour of the day until I fall off the wagon. And then it's like, I can't stop it because I can't. And, and, and so I'm actually back on the wagon for two days. <laughs> You're looking, I've been sober for two days, first hour of the day, no phone. Um, you know, I need a chip. I need a, I need a, a group to be with. So yeah, that's, it's easy to say and hard to do. You know, stay in there for just a sec. I yeah. mean, I think if, if what you said was, um, you know, being healthy is, is having the energy to do my most important work and and you're clear about that kind of headline of a purpose then it becomes an easier choice i think to look at your inbox which largely is um, what other people need from you 
and yeah, right, right. and compare that to um, you know the 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 number one objective of the of the day, and that's often the important work that that you need to do. That becomes easier calculus to decide which to do when when I think you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And and I but I think that we. Um, and when I say we, I, I mean me and what I observe in kind of the general population of, of people that I have exposure to. It's harder work, and so we are ten, we tend to not be drawn to it. We do. It's so hard. Uh, one of the things that I have built a pretty good habit around that I've stuck with for quite a while now is uh, the criticality of ending my day with the plan for the next day. Uh, and that's not to be understated. And there's a whole lot of science. I mean, it started with the whole. Um, six things it's the i can't remember the guy's name but there's the there's that i often told possible fable of the the consultant whose name i can't recall talking to charles schwab you know like with the consulting advice that um i don't have any i don't have any more time or money for consulting and advice you know it's well let me give you one one tip that you can try to get more done uh and if you like it pay me for it um if you don't like it blow me off and okay, fine. What's that? And it's like, but at the end of the day, write down six things. You, are you familiar with the story? I am. <laughs> Correct me if I'm getting it wrong, because I'm like, is it six or is it seven? And six things, seven things, but it's not that many. Write them down at the end of the day, and that you need to do the next day. And when you come in, focus on the on this first one, and then you get as far as you can on that, and then, and then you get to the second one, and then you, and you get as far as you can on that. And at the end of the day, hopefully you've done one, two, three, four of those things, and then the next day you set it up the exact same way you you. You, you erase the day uh, that day, and you're just basically setting objectives day after day. And the, the legend is that Schwab sent the guy $15,000 because it was the most amazing thing that's ever happened to him. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll tell you, I use some form of that, and it is a total transformation of how I behave. It is total, a total transformation. But it is still not easy for me to start that next day with the enthusiasm that I had when I ended the previous day. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, David Allen is the is the name that comes to mind. I don't know if that's the one that connects to the story, but the, to me, um, my experience has been that um, six items starts to play into my achiever uh, black hole, and yeah. and it and it works against me. So I'll tell you how I do it, um, and I call it the the cooking show approach. Okay. Um, what I try to do is the equivalent of measure the ingredients, chop the vegetables, uh, and get everything ready so that the next morning what I do is I just cook. So have you ever watched a cooking show where um, all the all the people are smiling so big and they're they're just grabbing the chopped onions and the and the whatevers and they're assembling it all and cooking looks so joyous. And it turns out that it is if you do it that way. Instead, the way we do it <laughs> yeah. is we we get hungry, then we go to the store, then we buy everything, then we drive home, then we chop it all, then we assemble it, and by the time that we you know we eat it, we've like been through this twenty five step process, and and it's it's exhausting. And by the way, you got a whole sink full of dishes still to do. So the way I, I like to think of it is you spend the end of the day doing some of the hard setup stuff like acquire. The vegetables, you know, chop the stuff, measure it, assemble it all, so that when you come in the next morning, you're doing the cooking show, the filming part, where all you're doing is assembling it. So, so the equivalent, I think, for work is, 
you pull all the stuff out of your inbox that you need to do the task. You try to get through something that would be hard, some kind of barrier or blocker to the task so that when you come in the next day, you don't open your inbox, you go straight to the thing you're doing. So, you know, maybe it's, it's, uh, you know, PowerPoint because you're writing a presentation or a document because you're because you're writing something or it's a it's you know Photoshop because it's some type of design image or whatever it is you go straight to that thing without opening anything else and you invest I don't know how much time I, I try to I try to do somewhere between 20 minutes and 90 minutes focused on that thing and then you come back to the rest of the world with what everyone else needs I, I tend to look at that as the cooking show type of approach well so I love that so I don't know if you know that I was a chef. Right. So, yeah. I, so, so cook and, and chef, there's this concept. And if you've ever been in the, in, behind the line, you know, this, and, and anybody who's really been a professional cook and knows exactly what I'm about to say, uh, it's called mise en place. That's the French phrase meaning everything in its place. Yeah. And that is the whole process of all the prep work. Have you ever heard of what a prep cook is? A prep cook is the person who dices the onions and prepares the sauces, or not, not with the sauce, yeah, we do that, but like, but provide the people who get all those ingredients that need to be ready to go, yeah. and everybody participates in that, but mise en place, everything in its, in its place, enough of everything where it needs to be, so when it's time to cook, there's no thinking. You're just flowing. So that was interesting. I've never heard that before. I've, I've never heard that connection, and it, and I'm going to be digesting that for a long time, uh, and I and my my gears are turning. So that's uh, that's anything that's really powerful. Well, one of the things that it does is it taps into the joy of cooking. It taps into the joy of work. I think we um, p- part of what makes you unique is what you can uniquely produce, yeah. and you need your highest energy and your clearest focus for you to produce your best work. So I think when you when you start um, reversing the dopamine cycle of, um, of let me fill that tank with quick hits from my inbox to let me fill that from the hard work of producing my, my best work with my highest energy and my greatest focus, then it can create a, um, a positive cycle that can that can really change the game. I mentioned this the other day on another uh, interview. I'm a recording engineer. Well, I'm not. I was a recording engineer. Like I, <laughs> I'm a musician. That's for sure. I'm a musician, <laughs> and I was a recording engineer in college. And uh, I had a brief flirtation with being a songwriter for a short while, and, and I was recording. And I can record with legit software. Pro Tools is my uh, tool of choice, and I can do that work. Uh, when it came to record this podcast, uh, I had, I found myself with almost no patience and no tolerance for anything technical because it just was in the way. And because to the, with the cooking, the recipe is, I want to have meaningful conversations. It's not about being not geeking out. And so it was a really interesting, and I, w- I couldn't figure out exactly. And I didn't spend a lot of time because I was so passionate about getting this going, uh, that I was like, you know, anything that's from more than hitting a button before I begin a conversation with somebody it was exact. We had no tolerance for that, and and it was, and it was just I didn't think too much about it, but I noted it because it would I, it didn't serve utility. But now that you des- describe that, it's you know it's about this recipe thing. Like, well, to take this metaphor like to the nth degree, like you know, what's your restaurant? Ser- like, who's your customer? What is your what are you trying to cook? Are you are you a bakery? Are you and so your mise en place has to serve 
that. Don't let anything that might be, oh, I love cooking desserts. Well, this is a healthy foods restaurant. Like we can't, you know, like it's great that you love to bake and, and those cakes are, are awesome, but they're distracting to the people who came here for gluten-free or whatever. <laughs> I love that story. I think I think what it says to me is that sometimes the, the path to, to figuring stuff out is set a strategy, um, figure out how to break it down, align your behaviors to uh, to build that strategy. And then I think there's another path as well, which is um, how do I feel? What need underlies that? And then what does that inform me about about what my priorities are? So, you know, you've got a need to connect. Something was getting in the way. That creates a frustration. What does that frustration tell you about what your underlying need is and, and what is getting your attention? And then that that may cause you to either refine your strategy or refine some of the tactics of how you articulate your strategy. So I think it's this bi-directional thing. Sometimes it comes top down and sometimes it comes bottom up. Yeah. But either way, I think it's, it's pretty helpful to be clear about your strategy and align your actions and behaviors to it, as well as being uh, skilled in tapping into your emotions and the underlying needs of those emotions as a way to inform um, how you articulate the behaviors and the strategies. Um, and, and it's this bi-directional thing. And to me, that's one of the ways that, that I tend to define healthy. I'm like someone who has access to both of those pathways yeah. because then that creates a Positive nice sustainable loop. With, yeah. I'm even doing it with my hands. I'm making like yeah, a sustainable circle of like this feeds that and it, and it goes round and round. Whereas, um, you know, a non-sustainable cycle would say like, I've got one channel and sometimes there's a blocker to that channel. And if there's a blocker and I've only got one thing, yeah. then I can get stuck. Yeah. It's a clog. Yeah. And so I, I can tell you that I self-assess as particularly weak at getting access to certain types of emotional states for myself. Like, am I afraid or am I wounded? I've learned how learning, I'm learning how to get more in touch with that because in the heat of the battle, I sense secondary emotions, anger, frustration, which are actually not that helpful uh, in terms of the, the cycle you described. Those are natural def defensive states. They're very blunt instruments to try to, to, try to interpret. So it, it, that I'm always working on that because I, because entrepreneurs have this problem in my experience is that when you start your business, uh, or probably even anybody who get, puts themselves into a spot that's not ideal on day one for a bigger, greater purpose that's so meaningful or big, like if you, a lot of entrepreneurs start on day one with no income and bills. Like the guy, so it's, it's a very dire situation, a dire feeling situation. So the overwhelm of that just, just erases the relevance of any of these low-level emotions. <laughs> it's like, just got to find some money. <laughs> just got to close the deal. Just got to move forward. And that's, uh, that's nothing wrong with that, I don't think, because I think you, you have your North Star of some degrees, maybe not precise, but you're, you're starting the business and you're, and you're going after something that's, that's really, really meaningful to you. You're taking control of your life, and that's, that's normal. But, but what you do is you, you iterate and you, and you improve. You go from no revenue to some revenue, to a little more revenue and, and a little more work and a little more success, and the business is there. And depending on how things have evolved and depending on your capacity to do things, a lot of people are able to keep getting more and more skills, and so they can do more and more. Some people don't. They stay in a narrow lane, which let's talk about that in a second. Let's assume most people, they get more and more skills. They learn whatever they need to do. They learn how to do it. So two years, three years, five years, 10 years down the line, they've done everything they need to 
to achieve this general successful goal, which is to run the business with more 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 revenue, hopefully profit. But that entire two year, three year, five year period, there was no time, no interest, no relevance to understanding that emotional impact. Like what, what in the last five years were things I loved? And what really gave me more energy? And what could I do more of? And if I had to take things off my plate, what would they be? The permission to ask that question is denied so many business owners and entrepreneurs, and probably a lot of professionals in general, to have access to that, to iterate the process. So when we do that in, in, in session, we're doing that at least quarterly. But when we start the process, it's a little bit more, more than that. But it is very much this give yourself permission to ask what you want and give yourself an opportunity to listen and feel a little bit. And then keep doing it because it doesn't stay static. Yeah, that triggers, um, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. You know, I think when entrepreneurs get started, they've got some pretty basic needs of of surviving and um, and creating safety, which which I think is akin to, you know, am I going to be in business in two weeks' time? A lot of the tapping into the emotions and the um, the feelings of of what do I really want to achieve? Um, those get closer up to the top, uh, you know, towards the self actualization. But at what we know about Maslow's hierarchy is that you don't spend much time up there if you're fighting for survival. Right. You stay you stay at that at that bottom layer. So I think this is one of the reasons why being an entrepreneur is so difficult. Is that um, is that it, it, it's very uh, challenging environment to be fighting for your life while you're trying to construct something at the, at the same time, you know, fighting for your life sounds, that's a, that's kind of a colloquialism that, that I don't mean, but you're, but you're fighting for the survival of the business. And, and that, that takes you right down to the, to the base layer. And no, I'll take you right back there. There's no way to overstate it. And I, I think that um, people who are not entrepreneurial don't get it and dismiss it a little bit. You know, it, it's the good life. You get all the rewards, all the money. Uh, and people in the life are kind of like, you know, why does this seem so hard? Uh, but I can tell you, it's it's everything. It's it is absolutely everything. An entrepreneur, by and large, not 100%, but most of them, they put 100% of their their own self, their own existence into the business because it is the way that they provide for their families, for themselves, for the impact in their world, for everything flows through. That nothing is in their nothing. They don't have the privilege of anything in their world in the in the absence of that business and so when it goes well it's it's uh, it's amazing and it's overwhelmingly good and when it goes poorly even a little bit it's tragically painful it is real even small losses are are it's it's life and death i mean people cry in the session room a lot the, the it, this is really the, the the battle lines of life and death for for many entrepreneurs yeah well you know, Mark, it's um, I'm, I'm glad you're saying it. The, uh, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, fall into the trap of uh, believing that their self worth is tied up in how successful their business was. And and from a um, from a personal anecdote, I'll tell you that a lot of my self worth was tied up in um, how much I would achieve, whether it was um, in business or on on the field for athletics. And, um, you know, it took a major setback in my life and an injury. I ruptured my Achilles after um, Hurricane Harvey. And, um, and, and I'll, I'll recap that experience in this way. L- life was trying to send me a signal uh, over and over across the last 15, 20, maybe more years of my life. And, and I wasn't ignored it, it. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't listening. <laughs> and then eventually life sent me a signal I couldn't ignore. 
and it was a um, an injury that had me, you know, in a walking boot and on crutches for a long time, and and uh, in a major rehab cycle. And I and I think what it what it said to me was that um, you know there's there's more to this than than you're paying attention to, and that um, and that you need a recalibration of your self worth. Your self worth is not this athlete persona it's not the achievement you've got you got other stuff to offer and and you need to learn that and so life sent me the the lesson inside a package that i couldn't ignore Um, and so i look at it now as a gift It, it certainly didn't feel like a gift when i was uh you know waiting in the surgery room to have my achilles reattached um but but um as i went through the process which was a very humbling experience i realized that um that I, I still had a lot to learn about this. And this is one of the key things that I see uh, with entrepreneurs and with um, high producing and uh, creative types is that they start to drift towards having their self-worth be tied up into the thing that they do as opposed to the the person that they are. And, you know, it, there, there are times where I just want to, like, hug the producer and say, hey, I, I hope you know that uh, that I see a lot more in you than than this thing that that you produce. Yet I think that um, that there's this like almost seductive element of, you know, I can do this. I can make this difference in the world, and 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 that's who I am. So how I mean that's deep. It's powerful. Uh, how healthy and happy do you feel right now? You? Yeah. Well, it's the it's the most help healthy and happy that I've ever been. And I think it's because I'm, I'm wiring some of these healthy cycles. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm becoming at peace with some of the, some of the challenges, including shifting my mindset and seeing some of the challenges as, as the gifts that are needed to build out the the healthy pathways. So yeah, it's the, it's the happiest that I've been, um, I say it relative because, uh, you know, I'm kind of in, in early stages of it, but you know, you, um, I think, you know, what I, I guess what I recognize is that, um, uh, the, the goal for me is to be, is to be better than I was yesterday, as opposed to, you know, trying to be better than you or, or better than, uh, than, than someone else. It's really just trying to, to, to get a little smarter and get a little better each day, be a bit more self-aware. And, uh, and that, that's something that I can control. And because I'm, I'm achieving that goal of, of getting a little better each day, I feel pretty good, you know? And, and honestly, you know, my, my son is 12 and my daughter's nine. And, uh, and I, when I look back on life, I see those ages as some of the times when um, there was a fork in the road of, of me uh, having the opportunity to to be self-aware or to confront some of, of what wasn't working. And, um, I didn't, I didn't see it. And, so it, it, and yourself at age nine and 12. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and people around me didn't help me see it. And so that's one of the fun things about, mm. about being a dad and, 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 uh, and being involved in their lives is that, um, is that I, uh, I'm, I'm translating some of what I'm learning now into uh, small threads that sometimes they grab on and, and they pull also, and, and other times it just not dangles there yeah, and, yeah. And, and they're not ready. But, yeah. but th- that's been what's fun about, uh, about that part of life lately. Wow. I've had a question, and I totally forgot what it was going to be. 
Well, okay, so tell me a little bit. So what you know, what are you finding? Is is that is that you? Because you, your kids aren't really yourself. Your kids are still external. Absolutely. So what are you finding in terms of your self awareness, your self? You, how do you you know what's your what's that internal asset that you're building up? You know how how does that start? What's the conversation look like? Because I mean I'll tell you what. I, you, you said it, and it's a Jordan Peterson. Are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? Yes. The 12, yeah, the 12, 12 Rules for Life. He talks about that. Don't compare yourself to, I forgot who he said, to other people, but it's like you know, who, who you were yesterday. That's yeah. exactly what he's saying. And that ties back into like all the great golfers who were like, you know, when you, when you were on that hole you, and you were, somebody was coming up behind you and, you know, how'd you feel about that? And they're like, I didn't even know they were playing back there. I just knew I had a putt in front of me. And so the greatest tend to be able to do that. It's a little bit better than they were themselves. But I am just constantly, I got to be honest, and I am constantly comparing myself to other people. And it is very, very hard. How are you, how are you going inward and staying inward? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, unpack a few of those things. I don't know that I got great answers, but I'll tell you how I think about it. Um, you know, as it relates to the kids, uh, I've got a pretty fiercely independent personality and I never liked being lectured, nor did I like being told. So, um, I try to tap into that as I'm offering, um, thoughts to my children to see what threads they'll pull. Um, I find that when I start telling them and lecturing them, I fall into old patterns that were taught to me, didn't work you for know, you. They're not gonna didn't work. For them. work. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, I, you know, I'm not great at it, but I'm at least aware of it. You know, um, I, I think that uh, that one of the mindset shifts for me has been um, in my past. It's been what what will others think about this, about this performance or this moment or or how I look or or whatever. And and I and I have tried to shift it to, you know, how how will I feel about it? How do I how do I feel in this moment? And, and to let that be enough, you know, like, um, you know, I think even, even the podcast is, um, is a, is a good example. I, I you know, I, I could be thinking about how will someone hear my words? Um, but I'm, instead I'm choosing to say, how yeah. truthful can I be to myself in this moment? And, and just to let that be enough, you know, when the podcast posts, or publishes, it's going to be what it is. And, and, and I'm, and I'm, I am 100% at peace with allowing that to be what it is. And if someone comes back and says, Hey, you know, you said this and and I disagree, then, then that's a gift of, well, let's explore something together. I'm interested in your perspective. So, so I, I think that's some of what, what's triggered in my mind when you ask, well, you know, how do you, how do you go there? Well, okay. So it, it sounds very much like just uh, mindfulness and, and presence. I mean, it, it's, it's the whole idea behind meditation. M- much of what's prescribed these days is meditation, you know, headspace and all that. So it's about being in the moment. And so th- there's, there's a lot there, actually. Um, because I think of, well, two things come to mind. One is uh, just that idea of mindfulness and presence and making the most of it. But then there's a second piece of that that I think is, you know, if you're really following Eckhart Tolle and, and he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter how bad your life is. If you can be present, it's better than, than if you're, you know, imagining that 
the worst of the past and the, and the worst of the future. You need to be present and you can make good things out of that. And I think there's some truth to that. And I think that can be useful, especially if you're locked in a concentration camp or something like that and, and, you're, and you're doing something like that. Uh, but I don't think that's the journey of most people on most days. And so what crossed my mind is you know, to be present in the moment and to make the most of the moment, uh, you should probably be doing things that are the right things for you. Like, and, you, and I have choices to about how I can spend my time. And, and there are some things we do because uh, we need to do them because the outcome we're trying to create. And, and, I, and as I'm definitely thinking this out loud as I say it. But there are, we definitely have choices. We can definitely eliminate things. Like this podcast, for example. Is I, I, I did it as, an, as a need for myself. Like, I, like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to grow your business? Like, I, I don't think so. I think I'm trying to just do this and I think and I think there's something to it and I'm not exactly sure what and but it's so far been good and people have given, given me great feedback on it and it's just it is and if I'm having a bad day and I'm not feeling good and as soon as I hit the record button I'm electrified and it's and, and it's it's truly a gift and, and it is in and of itself enough and so I, I'm you know what other things can I made can I be doing like this that are just in enough or enough in and of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot that's in there. Uh, you, you're calling out to, uh, meditation and, and mindfulness and, um, and, and tapping into your own needs and, and, and what you need. I think that, uh, the way it, uh, it's organized in my mind is that there are proactive things that you can do. And I think the podcast is one of them for you. You, you recognize the need, you initiated action, it's proactive and it fills your tank. Um, it does. It really does. The, the, I think the, um, and that's good. That's just like the tagline of the podcast, you're taking control and you're, and you're living the life that you, that you want to lead. Um, that's awesome. What I think is, um, is, is also interesting. It's the reactive side. So it's not the stuff that you're proactive with. It's the reactive side of, of what happens around you, whether it's, um, someone's um, personality that you have to deal with rubs you the wrong way or someone cuts you off on the highway or um, your car doesn't start when you, uh, you know, <laughs> push it for the third time when you, when you not try that, that would have happened to you this morning, not that that would happen. <laughs> and not that, not that I'm running a, a zero contingency uh, type environment at the moment. Yeah. But, um, but it's really this reactive thing of, of how do you respond when, um, when these things happen? And, and I think that w one of the key pieces that my meditation practice has helped me see is that I'm fully in control of how I respond. I'm not at all in control of what happens to me, but I am fully in control of how I respond. And so I can choose to see it a certain way. And, uh, and I think once you take the agency in that, that, op that unlocks a, 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 a wide open landscape of, of what choice that you, that you have. Cause I think it's easy to fall into a, a victim mentality or, or some type of, um, hopelessness that, uh, that I'm, I'm the victim, victim of a circumstance, but, um, but there, there's all kinds of range that we've got and, and there's, there's all kinds of blue sky that's above the clouds. For sure. So that, that agency idea and understanding your own power and I don't, I think I think it's I don't think it's easy to really understand what that means to be in to feel out feel okay accepting the lack of control of what happens to you and having control of how you react to it because uh, I think it feeds into this idea of like extreme ownership 
you know, Jocko Willink's approach. You're familiar with that. Yeah. So it, you end up saying, you know, almost by default, by, by rote, you know, you know, it's, it's my fault. It doesn't matter what just happened. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. It's my fault. And I, I think there's an opportunity to, to overestimate your control in that if you don't have good, good clarity of which side is that. Because then you start, when things go poorly, uh, due to external circumstances, you know, virus outbreak, um, you know, could, could really change your world very quickly if you can't get to where you were planning to go. And you can say, well, I could have foreseen this. Like, I could have made different travel plans. I could have done other things. And it is kind of a bottomless well of ability to take accountability because you can rationalize a path to prevent kind of anything external, I think. Do you understand what I'm saying right I there? Do. So do you think that there is any danger of over-ownership and becoming competitive with yourself over things you don't have control over because you can think your way into a way to have prevented anything? Absolutely. Here's a pretty raw thought. Um, I think one of the ways that I tend to see being healthy is um, a balance of internal and external orientation as well as a balance of, um, of uh, you know, maybe maybe blame and, um, and maybe control or agency. So, you know, I think it, it feels like a polarity. You know, you, you, th- there is always internal and there's always external. There's always agency you can take and, mm-hmm, um, and, right. and things that are, that are out of your control. And if you stay on one of those sides for an extended period of time, you'll be in an unhealthy place. So I think a lot of life as a, as a mature person is being able to move through those states and understand that um, that being healthy is is having the um, the skills to move through those states, knowing that this is temporary, this too shall pass, and um, and that I'm I'm managing a a an, a, a dynamic context. Uh, that's what feels healthy because. Um, things are going to change and, um, and we change. And, uh, and as the, all that happens, um, um, you know, sustainability comes from, from being able to, uh, to move. For sure. And the phrase that comes to mind that, cap- that I think is used to kind of capture and include a lot of what you just said is self-compassion. And, and which again becomes like, what does that even mean? And, and the, the, and I think what it means to, to, to me, well, I know what it means to me as I'm learning it is when you look at the mess, meaning life, and you, you look at what happened, uh, it wasn't perfect and it was never going to be perfect. And, you, you know, I could have planned better, not I should have planned better. Yet, yet there was a way and, and you feeling a sense of loss at the moment self and you're feeling... Uh, like, you know, bad or disappointed or hurt as a result of a of sequence of events that have unfolded. Um, and that's okay, self. Uh, don't, don't ignore that. And then go, and then go react to that. And uh, that's the idea of self-compassion com- uh, is somewhat new on the scene. It's replacing what used to be self-esteem because we're finding that that's not as useful. But to be able to look at ourselves and, and accept that imperfect line between chaos and order, the imperfect line between um, external factors and our decisions that met them in an imperfect way, and not getting wrapped up there. 
and, and being able to accept it, see it, learn from it, and then turn the page. Yeah, I love it. I'll share probably the, the most impactful thing that I've learned in the last year of my life. Um, it comes from a Marshall Rosenberg book called um, Nonviolent Communication. I'm familiar. And um, this central tenet is the power of observation without judgment. And what I've come to learn is that one of the main reasons why my self-compassion was so low is that um, I was constantly judging myself and I was rarely able to observe what was happening in a way that I could learn from it. I was, it was almost like I was throwing a wet blanket on my ability to learn about myself uh, by judging. And it was the judging of myself that was the wet blanket that, that kind of covered everything. So as I've, as I've learned uh, some of this nonviolent communication with myself, I've gotten better at just observing simply what's happening. Like, what am I optimizing for? What choices did I make? What did I see at that moment? What outcomes came from it? And, and what can I learn from it? And when you, when you take an observation without judgment type approach like that, then learning is, is what you're optimizing for. And you're becoming the better version of yourself because you're growing from the experience. And then I think once you get better at doing that with yourself, then you can offer that to other people and you can observe without judgment for other people and that creates safety and then that optimizes learning for them as well and that creates healthy relationships. That's a sustainable cycle, but a lot of times it comes from within you and um, it's pretty hard. This is true of a lot of things in life. It's pretty hard to do something for someone else that you can't yet do for yourself. So <laughs> that's a Jordan Peters thing as well. You know, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't try to change the world until you get your, your own house in order, you know, focus there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy to do, but, but it's in your power. And, um, and you know, I think observation without judgment, it's, it's probably the most compelling thing that I've learned, uh, in a, in a long time. And, uh, I find that I can go back to that anchor point often, and a lot of times the answers are right there. So I, I, can, I do that. I try to do that. Um, where I struggle is that there are just, um, uh, what's the word? I'm looking for a non-judgmental noun. Uh, instances will go with where it just stings. Like, and I, I find this phenomenon. The older I get, uh, the more the rookie mistakes is I'll categorize them sting more because I feel like as I've gotten older, I should know more. And I think there's truth to that. I think I'm better at making uh, rookie mistakes less often, which I think is, it, it comes into why they're so shocking when they happen. Like I, I went from making a rookie mistake every day. I understand I'm a beginner. If, if I'm making a rookie, s simple, stupid mistake every quarter, like it, it comes at me surprisingly and it's a little humiliating to myself. And so, you know, I feel stupid in my own eyes. Like how could you make such a simple blunder? And so I'm emotionally overwhelmed to the point like, oh, I am just really beating myself up as opposed to like, well, you know, Mark, take a step back, you know, have some compassion on yourself. You're not supposed to be perfect. You know, everybody's doing these kind of things. And it's like, you know, it's like, no, I'd rather just beat myself up a little more brutally for another couple of hours, days or whatever it is based on the severity. Do you encounter that? I do. I do. But it's a um, it's a deeply ingrained pattern that crushes my spirit and is a giant setback. So 
um, yes, that's in me, but, um, but you know, I don't, it feels violent to say it, but I try to actively stamp that out. I yeah. try to, I try to find that shadow voice inside me and I say, Hey, I know you're in there, but, but you're not going to dominate this moment. I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up about this. And instead the pattern interrupt for me is what need did I have at that moment? And wh why did I make that choice? And a lot of times there's, there's an answer that's in there, you know, you know, maybe it was a rookie mm. mistake, but I'm, but I did it because I was, I wanted to please this other person, or I wanted to try to find a quick answer instead of doing the hard work of truly understanding the system or the context. You know, like when I look back at that, I can, I can often find connection points back to, back to something. And then that becomes a positive learning moment for me, as opposed to beating myself up. Like, see, you're falling into that same same pattern. See, you're not learning the things that that you think you're learning. Those just don't help you move forward. They're just they're just self uh, self tearing down type language that um, that's that's a that's a pattern that that almost does nothing. You know, in yeah. some ways, I think we're 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 sending out a signal that says, you know, I'm not getting something that I need. Like you might go home and and tell your significant other, oh, my, you know, my, my day was terrible and, and this and that. And, and a lot of what you're doing is you're, you're, you're sending a signal of you need something that you're not, that you're not getting. And, yeah. and, you know, yeah, I think that uh, we're more likely to get what we need from others when we're giving the thing that we need to ourselves. So, you know, a big part of that for me is like, you know, try to stop tearing yourself down. So that's a great pivot point uh, into something that I've been curious about since we started this conversation. How does your wife fit into that? And the, the question that I was w want to lead to is she has a complex life with her own dreams and, and passions and paths. Uh, how do you, the, the question I want to get to, I'm, I'm going to try to bring it back to where we pivoted, is how do they fit together? You've got big dreams. She's got big dreams. How do you make them overlap? How do they work together? How do you not step on each other's toes? How do you take and give? Uh, but starting with the conversation, you come home, you've had a day. And, you know, how, maybe, uh, maybe the first question, how do you give yourself what you need so when you talk to her, you're not asking her to give you something that you should have given yourself? And is that how you interpret, how I should interpret what you said? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I, the question's an awesome question. It's right at the crux of, uh, of what's most important. I think the, the, the thing I try to keep in mind is that, is that what I value is, is feeling connected to her and her world and how she feels. And so one pathway is to, is to listen and support her. And another is to share what's happening for me and to ask for, for her to, to understand me. And so I just try to again keep those in balance, and so some nights it's um, it's it's me sharing and uh, and trying to do so in a way that doesn't push her away, and and on other nights it's me listening and trying to be uh, supportive, 
you know, the consultant in me sometimes wants to solve problems and, and jump, jump <laughs> oh, I got into. A, I got a tool for that. Let's, let's sit down. That's right. Let's get started in the morning. What time are you available at seven? That's right. And that's a lot of, she. That, sometimes that's not what she needs. She just needs someone to try to understand what she's going through. So, so, you know, I, I think that, um, that there's, there's balance, but I know that we're getting it right when, when we feel connected to each other. And so as long as I stay anchored to that higher level context of, of connectedness, as opposed to a, a lower level thing of, wow, it would be really good for me to vent, then, um, then, then there's sustainability there. Cause said differently, um, you know, if, if, if I feel the need to vent, but she has a need to vent as well, it's, it's probably a, a, um, a healthy choice for me to make to be the listener that night and then call someone else that I have this symbiotic relationship with and say, Hey, it could really help me if you let me let it fly yeah. for a little bit. And, and then that person becomes the listener and I didn't need to be the speaker in that moment with my wife. So I think it's just trying to be aware of the balance and staying aligned to that higher purpose of, Hey, stay connected. And, and that's a balance of, of speaking and listening. So how does that manifest in when it's, because I, I get the conversation piece of that, uh, but time and energy outside of those touch points, uh, weekends, evenings, travel, those things tend to crash into each other. You probably have to travel periodically, yes? Yeah. And, and, and your wife has to travel sometimes. She does. And you've got kids. And how often do you encounter the how do we rock, paper, scissors, the importance of the conflict, like, you know, without, I assume you smile, like you understand the question of like priority and who's more important and how do you defer and how does that, how does that play out? Does it... Yeah, it's, uh, it's delicate. I think, uh, it's, it's really important to me, um, that we are equal partners and that there's, um, not a presumption that she does something I don't do because, um, because of her gender. Mm. So, um, I, uh, you know, I think there was a window of time when the kids were very small and there was breastfeeding and stuff like that, where there is an imbalance in the roles we have as parents. But now that our kids are nine and 12, um, I see us as fully equal standing partners in, in the management of the house, the raising of our kids and, and all this stuff. So, so from that standpoint, I, I try to, I try to do my, my part. Um, from a, from a revenue generating standpoint, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a salary role and I make a lot of money. I support the family, um, while Katie is, um, in a non-revenue generating stage of trying to build something really awesome that, that takes a runway of time to do so. So because of that, there are times where, um, you know, my need for travel or my need to be present for something related to work ends up um, becoming a priority or some or something that we need to work around. But um, but I've I've intentionally built uh, flexibility into my world, knowing that I've got a, a entrepreneur wife um, and who who has needs, and and so we we've got a couple extra layers of, of help and, mm. um, and, and different ways that we try to flex and, and support each other to try to avoid, uh, you know, a, a conflict that, uh, that's unresolvable. So I La- think layers of help that's, that's, that's babysitters, nanny, family, 
Yeah, so. not a nanny, but yes, babysitters, um, you know, including my parents who uh, do do crazy things like drive from South Carolina to help us out for a weekend and stuff wow. like that. So, wow. yeah, you know, it's just um, I think where there's where there's a will, there's a way. And, um, you know, where there's there's love, there's sacrifice. And, uh, you know, we're we're all in it for the for the same reasons. And and so, uh, you know, we try to try to ask for what we need and try to support each other in in being there for each other. Wow. So, you know, n- no, no, um, easy answers there, but I think that the, um, th- but the, the higher order is, is, is trying to be an equal partner and, and trying to, um, t- trying to optimize, um, for both as opposed to, um, you know, just what I see. I try to, I guess, see the larger context. And so I, I had that thought recently that really the best combination is understanding how to create synergy and overlap where, where things, things fit together well as opposed to two separately needy visions. Yeah. You know, you get two, it like, well, how can these things help each other out? Uh, but I, I, at the same time, I, I think that's largely theoretical. I mean, the passions of two individual people don't necessarily converge, especially over time. Have you had any situations, experiences where it just crashed and melted down? Like you're like this, you know, this is just bad, and like you know, we got two losers or or, or a big argument or just crises in, in in path. Yeah, yeah, there have been, and and I I assume that life will serve up a con, a continue continued menu of more of them to come. You know, I think um, the. Um, I think one of the hard parts is that um, is that the her entrepreneurial context is is often at that lowest level of Maslow's hierarchy. Like she's she's fighting for the survival of the company, and um, and then for me, what I see is how much she's learning and how each of these setbacks, whether it's an investor telling her no or a manufacturing company telling her there's a delay, or uh, you know. Uh, an employee that's um, that's you know not following through on something that they're that they've said they're going to do or or whatever. It's um, I, I see her learning and growing and and how that in itself is this um, invaluable experience that she's getting. And then I'll see her allow herself to get pulled down into the judgment of of yeah, but I don't I don't yet have the investors I need, or I don't yet have mm-hmm. the product right. that I need or, or the, or the corporate culture that I need. And so, yeah, it becomes this, uh, this incongruence. And, and so then I, I just, I feel like I've gotta, I've gotta be patient and say, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to support her through this moment. Cause I want to stay connected to her. Um, and, and, and let it, let it happen because you know the the fact is again coming back to i didn't like to be told and i didn't like to be lectured <laughs> last thing i'm going to do is tell her hey i've learned this thing and you should and do if it. you just <laughs> would learn it also it would things would be a lot better for you but instead just like you know i don't even know that i fully have learned it yet either it's just a new light bulb that's come on for me and and i'm going to see if i can again offer her a thread that if she chooses to pull then i'm right there with her and if she's not ready for it then it's gonna it's it's gonna be there, ready for her to pull when she's ready. Yeah, 
Well, one light bulb that went on for me is that clearly I need to have Katie on the show. <laughs> and so I, I, that is, uh, you need to set that up for me. I'd I, be happy I, to. I, I, I very much would love to have the bookends of, of this. Very, It's really kind of cool because you have very, uh, not quite polar, but almost polar lives living together. I mean, it's, there's, it's business, but it's a very different set of structure. I mean, she's in a chaos world. You're in a structure world. Is that fair? Close? It, it, I, th- I can see how it looks that way. I, I think we're, I think we're really, I think we're really similar. We're, so we've got real similar personalities and um, outlooks on life. We've got some similarities in the way we were raised and, and some of the hangups that we have in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, the decision to get married was an easy one for me because um, she was clearly my best friend. And so as I looked at it, I was like, this is totally sustainable because this gives me the opportunity to hang out with my best friend for the rest of my life. So, um, so there, we're, we're real similar in that, in that way. You're right that the context of the, of the world, of the business world that mm-hmm. we're in is, is, is different, but I kind of find that, um, that I think of it uh, almost like as economic waves. Some of the economic waves are a little different in uh, our yeah. world, but but we're kind of doing the same things and we're trying to achieve the same feeling with our partners and our employees and and the world. And so, in so the, at, a, in, at a micro level, they look different. But if you take a step back, it's just you know, you just at any given moment, you'll be in different spots. But on average, you're kind of doing the same stuff. That's right. That's right. And and. Um, it, it, they're just waves, yeah. and and so I try to recognize the wave she's on, and and I see her trying to recognize the wave that that my business is on, and and we support each other in that way. But you know, to to respond to the um, to the offer to bring her on, I think she'd love to do it, and and she's got so much to say. She's she's brilliant, and she's she's funny, and she's fun, and um, I think you'd love having her on. Yeah, I, I believe that for sure. I'm curious. This concept, I think I know the answer to this, but I didn't want to let this go because I, I, one of the things that uh, it's, we're really talking about health. This whole the whole this whole conversation's been about some form of health, and I think when we look at the people who make the biggest long term impacts historically as entrepreneurs and as leaders, uh, two interesting phenomena happen that I think one is we attribute all of their behavior to their success um, and whatever that looks like. They were tough. They were mean. They were, they were, you know, you never, no one ever crossed this guy. If you looked at him in the wrong, he would fire you immediately. And that's this, you equate that with their success. Like, and so people try to emulate that. Uh, and then there is uh, the, the pathological side of that, which people start to get to. Well, the reason they were so driven is because they were abused by their whatever, or they grew up in this terrible neighborhood, and they were always, and so their pathology uh, from a distance starts to be ascribed as a good thing. And, and so, which I don't think is actually totally crazy. I think, I think that people are driven by those things. Uh, from a macro level, like, you know, they were never satisfied. That's why they kept going, kept going, kept going. And they were burning the candle at both ends. And that's why they created this amazing company. That's why they did, they led the revolution. That's why they did those things. At at a micro level, were they happy? Like, we probably don't think so. In many of those people's cases, uh, you know, Steve Jobs is known to have 
denied the existence of his own daughter for a long time. That's, that's, I don't know how you characterize that as a success attribute, right? That's not part of the recipe I want. Uh, so what's going on in his mind? What's, what was going on in his world that drove him to be one of the greatest visionary entrepreneurs in history? Um, so then the, 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 all that setup is if you take that away, if you take the pathology away, if you become healthy, do you lose the potential impact to be the, the best impact on the world and in, in your world? And I don't even know if that's a really knowable question to answer, but it is something that I think I think about and other people wonder as well. Like, you know, what, what are we after? Long-term legacy impact, healthy in the moment, satisfaction, complacency in the, in, in the moment. Like if I wake up, if I go to sleep happy tonight and I wake up in the morning, will I be like totally unmotivated? How do you see that issue? Wow. Um, that feels like an ocean. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And so, and so I don't want you to feel com compelled to try to answer that question. Like I think the last podcast I ended with like a question. Like, yep. okay, and now listeners go ponder because <laughs> I got nothing for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I like the thought track um, because if you, if, you know, the extent to which you feel confident in, in that area, it, it, um, it, it could be pretty awesome. So, you know, I guess my thought is that, um, is that Steve Jobs did, did some pretty incredible work. Um, he confidently, um, chartered a path into some unknown areas that, that, uh, he uniquely found. And I, that's pretty cool. Um, my hypothesis is that what allowed him to do that was, um, was something in balance or something that, um, that, uh, made itself in balance. And I'm saying in balance, not in, instead of I am, um, <laughs> I, and I guess the good, the good form of balance, you know, not, yeah. and, and I don't know all the facts, but so maybe you can help me, but, um, I'll make something up. that sounds plausible. You know, he, um, you know, his, I mean, he passed, um, in an, at an age less than his life expectancy, I, I think for the average male yeah, in sure. his demographic. And so I guess my, my presumption is that he may have operated in a non-healthy way or in a way that had a cost of, um, of uh, subtracting something that, that might not have needed to be subtracted. So then the way I hear your question is, could he still have achieved what he achieved if, if, he, if he lived or, or operated in a different way? And I think that part isn't knowable, but um, I want to be one of the ones that's trying to um, to still achieve something that might be as impactful as what he did while um, not exposing myself to suffer such a high cost. Um, you know, I think when you look at it, what what could he have done as an entrepreneur or as a leader or as a motivator in you know, the next 30 years of his life, if he were to go to the average life expectancy and, and yeah. is that worth it for him to burn so brightly to produce what he did or, or would we as a, as a, 
culture and as um, a uh, as as hum- humans, would we have benefited from him being more healthy and 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 lasting a little longer? So, you know, the, the, it's I'm I'm thinking from the top of my head, and I, I don't know that I have an answer, but but uh, that's what that's what comes to mind, and um, and and you know. So the question has always been, it shows up in different ways for me. And one of them is the realization, well, the perception and belief that, and because people have argued this point with me, and, and I still think I'm right, that when you look at artists, and, and particularly artists who are very, very creative, musicians uh, and painters and 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 entrepreneurs, actually, um, there's almost always some form of wound there. And... And, it, and you can very, almost always attribute the drive to that wound. And so it starts to become the question of, do you need to be wounded? And do you need to have a disease, a disease of some kind to really be impactful? Which then uh, flips around to, like, if you are, are a visionary of some kind, you're entrepreneurial in the way that you feel very compelled to make a big impact, uh, is trying to heal that contrary to your motives to make the big impact or is it just sort of like some self-eating question of like you know the only reason you're trying to make an impact on the world is because you're wounded you wouldn't care about that and and and, and what are you trying to do you live an unhappy life that leaves a legacy for hundreds of years or are you trying to live a happy life for your kids and whatever and, and let somebody else worry about changing the, the world's history uh which uh, that becomes that becomes a very deep question like which is it better to live a happy life for your family that no one ever hears of or is it better to burn yourself hot and change humanity and have everyone around you been miserable the entire time well i have a hypothesis and that is that everybody's got some struggle everybody's got some heartbreaking story or some um some challenge in their life what i think is is my hypothesis is that we overplay the struggle of some and connect it at in a causality type way right, to yeah. the genius that they have and um and and i think that the you know the average joe also likely has has a struggle and they likely have have overcome it it just uh you know their story isn't nearly as compelling because either they're not famous or they they haven't done whatever but but mm, they very yeah. well could have created something that's um that's equally as breathtaking just think that there's a bit of uh if you'll pardon the phrase almost like rubbernecker culture that um that says that we get so drawn to the famous people and then we want to and then we get drawn to we want a simple answer for why they're so awesome and why they're different from us. Right, and right. at the end of the day, I don't think there is a simple answer. Well, in addition, I think kind of what you're pointing to is that maybe almost everybody has that wound or something similar, and it's only because they were so dang famous that their wound got that much attention. That's that's exactly it. I think that I think there could be a brilliant podcast series of average people that yeah. can tell the same stories of addiction or abuse or poverty or um, or lack of um, of connectedness or compassion or or all these things you can look you can look all over it's just that those stories are untold 
because those people aren't in the public eye. Um, you know, like I think you, you know, like watch watch The Voice or America's mm-hmm. Got Talent, and you and you see what look like pretty average people that happen to move into this like partial stardom place for a moment, and and every one of them can pull up some difficult moment in their life that that they tap into that says why this moment of of having the chance to live their dream becomes so meaningful to them. And then and, and it's one of the reasons why I believe in this hypothesis that everybody's got a struggle. Sometimes it's visible um, and sometimes it's not. But one of the ways we can be human is to recognize that everybody's everybody's struggling with something right now. And everybody is has some struggle in their past that um, that we shouldn't assume just because they're successful or or famous or seeming to have it all together that 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 they that they haven't endured or they haven't um, you know persevered. Man, that, that that was that was the exact light bulb for me. Is it the, the light totally went on for me, and it was exactly I, I believe that I. I mean, I've said it a million times that everybody's had an epic, epic war they're fighting, and they've got struggling and, and they've struggled in the wounds and all that. And it just that was absolutely the um, the light bulb moment that like those wounds, uh, I still was over attributing like their, their their wounds and their bad behavior were just, were as famous as they were, and so that it got more attention. And now it's crystal clear to me that they're exactly the same as everybody else. Like that's not that's not the defining moment at all. That's not the defining feature. Everybody's got that, which is not to say that it's not hard and bad and, and it's not difficult. It's more about understanding the compassion for your neighbor who is silently sipping coffee next to you in the coffee shop. And, that, and they, are, they are not wound-free. They are not struggle-free. They are doing the same things. And, and we should not be more hard on ourselves. We should have more compassion for them. And if anybody is successful, we should celebrate that. Yeah. People are inherently complex. I think there are... There are no simple people. I don't like platitudes, but I think <laughs> that that might it might be true. But we try often to rationalize and explain these very complex things, and then the relationship between people might be one of the most complex things in the world, and yet we we try to comprehend it with these simple things, with these platitudes or or whatever, and and I think that. You know the the uh, association of someone's um, you know maniacal thing with their genius is this oversimplified thing that disambiguates the complexity of that right. person and their life and their relationships. So um, I think it becomes a bit of um, of fool's gold to think that there's so much causality between this idiosyncratic thing and their genius when. I think there's this much more complex context, and to truly understand someone's genius, I think it takes understanding uh, someone's complex world, and this is why um, my hypothesis is that everybody's struggling with something, and it's and it's yes, it's related, but it probably it probably um, isn't as causal for the genius as as we as we attribute it to be. Man, that's incredible! Such a such a, a light bulb moment for me. I'll be digesting this for for weeks, months, and years, and it's been such a gift. And this is probably the greatest uh, stop, place to stop as any. Uh, anything you want to share? Anything you still burning to to, to kind of sh- talk about at this moment? Well, 
I uh, if so go for it. No, it's I don't think anything topically, um, but I'll say that uh, I love the I I love the pattern of building on thoughts. Meaning, uh, you offered something, and uh, and I offered something in return, and then you you built on that. You know, it's it's almost like we had one topic, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. an hour later we're still talking. And yeah. I, I think what's what's awesome about that is that there's a very human element of that. I, I tend to see th- healthiness in these cycles of can one thing lead to something else that's yeah. positive, and see a virtuous cycle that unfolds from there. And I think this conversation, taking a step back and looking at it meta for a sec, was a a good example of that, of two people truly listening to each other, not not working off a script. Right. You know, you didn't come in, at least I'm, I don't think you did, with, with a set of topics. And so it's like, well, let me hit these five things and that's what equals success. Yeah. Nor did I have a set of things that that I felt like I needed to touch on. Instead, it was two people that were truly having a conversation, and and um, and one thing led to led to another, and I and I like that a lot because it's because it's healthy. It's a virtuous cycle of of one thing leading leading to another, and that, and I think that more and more, I uh, seek in my life those healthy patterns because they're because they're repeatable and they and they lead to positive unintended consequences that can be the rising tide that raises all boats and um, and so for me it was a real joy to participate because uh, you've given me the gift of of participating in exactly the thing that I value most well that's such a deep deep compliment because uh, that's how I, I see it as well that's how I feel it it is that meaningful conversations are what's most rewarding to me and that's what this ends up being a, a way of memorializing a meaningful conversation that's hopefully meaningful to thousands of other people who will get the opportunity to, to participate uh, which they can participate they can reach out like we're accessible right and, I'll, and you know so we'll let, let people know how to get a hold of you and, and me if they want to do that uh, but that's the intention to me which is to have I don't think there's enough opportunity in the world for people to see people change their minds, to learn, to exchange ideas. What's, what people are witnessing most of the time, now long-form unedited podcast is a, is a really uh, blossoming format, which is, is not that. It's the opportunity to hear these conversations. But I think the world is starved to hear what it's like for humans to interact and to grow. And so that's why this is passionate to me, which opens the door to a conversation. It's exactly the most scary thing you could potentially have. What are we about to talk about? I have no idea. <laughs> and, then, and so that's why I set people's expectations up front. Like what we're about to talk about is not what you were thinking. I promise. That's the one thing I can pretty well guarantee. And everybody generally is, feels rewarded for that, but it's not comfortable at first for, for me and for, I do it all the time. I just have built the faith that like I've done it so many times in a row. Like it's not failed yet. It's probably not going to fail this time, but sex success is not guaranteed, but it's all such a great compliment. I really appreciate our time together. And that was uh, I, you know, thank you. Well, I've very much enjoyed being on, and uh, and I've enjoyed the conversation. So, thank you for starting the podcast and and being willing to to allow it to be kind of unfiltered and to and to allow it to be real. Uh, I think there's a there's a lot of value in that, and um, you know, my, I tip my hat to you for for you know getting it started. That, I think that first mover of of making something happen is uh is is uh 
you know, what the world needs. It's everybody, I think, to try to find that thing and, um, and, and courageously give it a shot. Man. Awesome. No, I think it just kind of ties back into the whole theme of, of health. Thank you, man. How, if, if somebody wanted to connect with you, how would they find you? Yeah, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not that active on, uh, on Instagram and Twitter yet, but that's uh, kind of a, a future desire of me is to, is to connect through some of those platforms more regularly. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's probably the best way. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly love hearing about the impact of messages like this, um, you know, or, or other things on, on people's lives. Awesome. And so we'll make sure there's availability or if, you know, on, uh, on LinkedIn, the, the link to that will be in the show notes. Um, I'm looking forward to the next time we chat. My friend, this has been wonderful. It's been a real privilege. Uh, And that's it for today. And we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thank you so much.